0: Welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Character. My name is Dana Benedict and I am the host of this new podcast. Um, For those who have yet to listen, I've created this podcast because my performer friends and I miss performing terribly. We miss being on stage. We miss being in front of live audiences. So this is just sort of our chance to reminisce and talk about um Good times, bad times, weird times uh, of interacting with audience members and, and being on stage and the pros and cons of being a live performer. This episode I am so excited to share. I talk with one of my most favorite human beings. Well, I don't really consider him to be a human. He is definitely some powerful entity that I am so fortunate to know. This episode features Zachariah the Witch, and he is seriously one of my prefer- favorite performers in, uh, in my world, in, in the burlesque world, in the haunt world, in the paranormal world, in the jazz world. He does a lot of different things, um, so I'll just read you his introduction before we get into the conversation. As of 2020, he is the many muses, of many voices through many lifetimes. Zachariah is the writer and co-producer of the Raven Society and Ghosts of the Past, as well as co-producer with the Witches Brew LA. He is an active spiritual advisor, mentor, and the leader of the Los Angeles Black Hat Society. Zachariah is the host of the weekly live streaming series Around the Cauldron Outside of his spiritual teachings and assistance, he is a gifted performer with a background in acting, writing, singing, cabaret, guitar, piano, storytelling, and songwriting. And now I really hope you enjoy the conversation that I have with Zachariah the Witch. Thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. And I just saw you last week on your, your, was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago on your Uh children, which really honestly like i really needed that it was a really good talk and i i really appreciate that
1: yeah i usually um <clears throat> doing that show even though you know people are like well what do you mean it's a show it's just a live stream I was like well when you put it together you invite guests you get their bios you put in you compile the information you write the questions it's a show it's a production hey.
0: It is, totally um, and like you meditate beforehand, you're like yes. you know, involving people, yeah. asking them a question beforehand. Like it's mm-hmm. really, involving.
1: so, so the thing about that episode and having you on was, I think we both needed to commiserate about certain things, but we also needed to just like show people a side of us that maybe they weren't too familiar with or hadn't heard about in a while, you know, um. And that's the thing that I love about doing Around the Cauldron is that it reminds me of the people that are in my life or who have crossed my path. In so many ways, we are drawn to each other because we have something in common or we have a shared spiritual, emotional, or mental experience along our life path. And I love seeing other people's journey and their ability to grow and flourish or, you know, just learn something about themselves. So I was really glad to have you on. So thanks for have have been on my show
0: thank you yeah and it it inspired me to actually finally do this podcast because this is something i've been wanting to do for months and Mm -hmm. i think doing the interview with you kind of finalized okay i should do this so Mm -hmm. thank you for that
1: (laughs) wonderful yeah see we inspire each other exactly
0: yeah Yeah. and you as a performer you are very inspiring individual and you do so much And so I'm sure you have a lot of stories to share. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm kind of curious, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I told you about this?
1: You know, um, when you mentioned the show, you mentioned the premise of the show, and then even just getting on here to chat before we started recording, I was thinking about my life growing up and becoming uh, a singer and a pianist in the jazz community in Detroit. Um, God, what a bizarre fucking occurrence that was for me. I, um, I had a fake ID by the time I was 16 and I got a piano at the age of nine. Right. So I was classically trained for several years and then, you know, it's cause I started playing by ear and I had perfect pitch and all this other crazy shit and
0: oh, like, <clears throat> crazy, <laughs> right.
1: And then, um, so we go, flash forward I'm in high school I'm the oddball but yet I'm floating around all these social circles and I get along with everybody um and once I like found my queer identity and I owned it and I thought I thought I was fucking David Bowie from the (laughs) get-go I was like wearing furs to high school and like going to thrift stores and wearing grandma jewelry and um but it was like It was a way of expressing something that had been repressed for so long. And then when I found my voice as a singer, especially, it started out at a very, very young age where I was just like, God, there's just something about this music. You know, I heard, I remember hearing Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Nina Simone and um, just so many of the greats, Louis Armstrong, you know, listening to John Coltrane and All these different orchestral jazz I'm getting goosebumps saying all their names because they were so magical to me and I wanted to be them and I knew at the same time everything I heard from every musician that I ever knew and I'm getting to my point is when you play jazz you got to know how to improvise yes and you have to feel what you're playing you have to feel that movement and those moments when things change and I was classically trained and I just like, I was in ballet and I was in all this technical shit. So I was, I felt very sterile, you know, I felt like very like, oh, this is not going to work for me. And then when I got my fake ID, I kid you not, I started going to like this goth bar called City Club. It's like one of the oldest run goth clubs in Detroit. And then I started meeting these people through another place that was nearby that place uh, in Detroit. It was called Theater Bazaar. And I played piano for a girl who I went to high school with for her senior solo. She was um, same age as me. And I was the pianist for several people that year, the year before. And so people started to catch on like, oh, Zachariah sight reads. Oh, and now he's sight reading and playing music for the advanced choir. And now he's playing uh, piano for the state choir. And uh, he plays at church. He plays here. And it's like, I was the singer and pianist to everybody. So yeah, this lady, the that
0: they all wanted needed.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, everybody did, I was getting booked left and right, but I was not an adult. So it was very like, I didn't tell people how old I was. People just talked to me and they thought I was in college oh. and I just went with it. So I got a fake ID through a friend of a friend and I won't name their names. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I still went by my real name. It's just my fake ID said something different. So all the bouncers knew me as Ryan. And then <laughs> all, all my friends were like Zachariah. So they just thought it was a stage name. No one's ever thought my real name was my, was my real name. They always thought it was a stage name. No, my real name is Zachariah.
0: I, you know, I was um, actually just wondering that. I was like, it's such an old timey name. I'm wondering if it's your real name or not. <laughs> it is, yeah.
1: So, so my first gig was with this lady, Grace Detroit. That was her Burning Man name, right? And she was a regular at a place called Theater Bazaar, which was off of um, 8 Mile and, um, oh my God, I forget the cross streets, but you can Google it. Now they do, every year, they do an amazing Halloween at the Masonic uh, Temple in Detroit, and it sells out like the year before every year.
0: I'm on Instagram.
1: It's all dark carnival circus theme. Um, John Donovan is the main artist for that show. He's an amazing artist. He does all these sideshow portraits and like the spider lady and the conjoined twins. And it's just, it's crazy. It's a crazy, spectacular, like you go into another fucking world of carnies and sideshow. Yes. And I was asked to play piano because um, her piano player, Grace, um, he quit and um she didn't know how old it was didn't matter so i start rehearsing with her and i'm driving like a minivan driving all the way up to detroit i live all the way down in southeast michigan so it's like an hour out of my way two hours combined back and forth and i start playing at a place that i now know as an adult i was like holy shit, i played there cliff bells it's one of the oldest jazz clubs uh that has been open since the 20s and it was a speakeasy. It was a hush, uh, you know. Don't tell people you're going here because you can't drink legally. Um, it has the original Art Deco stage with all the mosaic tile and the wood, and everything's original. Uh, all the bartenders dress up in tuxedos and bow ties. Like it is the place to be for a night of jazz and live entertainment. Okay. And we did a show called Torch with a Twist. So I'm the 17 year old kid. After being with her for a year, I am her main piano player. I am her backup singer and we have a twice a month show that is regularly booked. And then it becomes every weekend, we're doing Torch with a Twist at Cliff Bells with Grace Detroit and her band. And I get asked to do solo numbers. I'm inviting like my circus friend who does like whip routines and like has her boyfriend dress up in a lion costume. (laughs) We're doing all of these cool things. But when you're a jazz player, it's like I said, you gotta feel it. You gotta be in it, you gotta improvise. And I'm playing with some of these very talented bass players and drummers. And during rehearsal, I kid you not, there was this guy named Ben, and I'm gonna call Ben out right now, if he ever hears this. (laughs) He was such a dick to me. And he wasn't even an audience member, but I always have known I was a proficient piano player. Mm -hmm. But during rehearsals, he was telling me to like, change up my chord progressions, improvise with like a nine and a seven, do this, do that. And I'm just like, do you wanna play the piano, Ben? You know? And it just, it turned into this really weird, competitive thing. And then when I, when I wasn't in the band anymore, I figured out that that's what it was. He didn't like that me as this like 16, 17 year old kid was making so much headway in the jazz community. I was playing Cliff Bell's, Warren's Jazz Bistro, The Dirty Show, uh, Time out or t- Showtime Detroit, I started playing at Greektown Casino. Like, bitch, I was everywhere. And I wasn't supposed to be. If you
0: were not good, then you wouldn't be at all these places. Right, (laughs) but
1: because I was insecure and because I was still pretty green in that scene, I really let it get to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like, I guess to share that first experience, it's like as a jazz performer, pianist mainly at that time, it pushed me towards singing, singing. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm not gonna play piano anymore because i feel like every gig i've had i have some issue with the band it's not me but at the same time it is me because I, at the same time i'd be the token white guy i'd be the youngest one there i'd be you know the oddball and i'm not i'm not saying in any way it's like reverse racism because i don't believe in that shit it's actually just it was an ageist thing and it was a it was like um it was like a clout thing like they didn't think that i had enough uh, enough behind me to have garnered the success that I had, and it was like that's really unfair. Like, there's a lot of people who are naturally talented that deserve to be where they are. So yeah. I was bitter about that shit for a while, and you know, it didn't help too that in the audience there was always drunk people, and they would like make song requests, and it was just oh my god, you know that's what it's
0: so like. Forest, yeah, I hate when I get a song request and I'm like doing all originals or something. I'm like I'm not gonna do a cover right now (laughs) yeah
1: well we we primarily did torch songs that's why it was called torch with the twist so some of the stuff we did was upbeat but most of it was about this longing and you know your lover is gone away from you and it was had a little bit of a sad vibe to it that's you know but it was a great variety show and people would still bust in through the doors of cliff bells and they'd want they demand swing songs they would demand like high energy big brass sounds and it's like we're a fucking four piece jazz band. What do you want? You know? So it just, it got to be, I love Detroit. I love the spirit of what I did. I love all those people. I'm so honored and so grateful for the ones who really believed in me and gave me a chance. Um, So touched by that. Like I I don't think I've ever even been able to express that to them to this day because when I was done, Dana, I was done. I just ghosted like, I felt so defeated for the longest time. Um, I felt like jazz failed me. I felt like uh, at at one point, I felt like everything in Detroit failed me Mm -hmm. because I had lost so much. So many people in my life had died. So many things in my life had changed that were out of my control. And I was young. I moved out when I was 17. So I was just like, really struggling to find balance i started drinking a lot i started using drugs a lot and in those communities too that's like another problem you know a lot i won't say who but there was people i worked with like in order for them to even step up to the microphone they had to have slammed four shots of jameson Mm -hmm. and then they just keep doing it all night you know so it's just like you get to a point where you just feel sick Even if you're not drinking and even if you're not doing drugs, you're just like, I can't do this anymore. So I took a big break from music. I stopped doing solo shows. I stopped writing. And then, um, yeah, I mean, fast forward years later, where are we? I'm somebody out of the woodwork that remembered me asked me to go and play for a private birthday party to sing and play guitar, actually. for a private party at, um, the Rosebud Trattoria in Chicago for the mayor's wife of Chicago. Um, and that was like, after I had not been on the music scene for almost six years, you know? So I'm in my early twenties and I'm just like, sure. Um, Were you still playing out there
0: in Detroit at this point?
1: Yeah. So I was still in Michigan and I would go, I would bounce back and forth from, um, from Chicago to Michigan. I tried to do a whole, like, traveling through toronto and canada you know i did the train ride and i bounced around bars and i did open mics still mm-hmm. but i wasn't writing i wasn't creating and i wasn't trying to headline anywhere mm-hmm. the, i think the last show i headlined was at a place called showtime detroit and it was like a thrift store with a huge it was inside of an old theater of a church and they mm-hmm. turned it into a thrift shop where you could shop while listening to a live performance i love that it was so cool. There was some really cool stuff like that in Michigan. Um,
0: That's so but, I really did not know that there was such a big scene out there. I mean, obviously Detroit makes sense that there would be a big scene out there, but like outside- you got to
1: think of who's from there and what Detroit used to be. Detroit was called the Paris of the Midwest okay. because it was the home of Motown and jazz. It was um, the theater districts were huge. The casino popped up there. Um, and it became like this elegant and regal place because it was so close to Canada. It had diversity and inclusion. Um, but after the race riots and after, you know, a lot of what's happened throughout our history, it became a very, um, less densely populated place and turned into like gang wars all the time and, and, um, infighting and, you know, racial segregation and, A lot of why I left Michigan, even to this day, when I think about it was because when I look at what my friends that are still back in Detroit talk about in politics, especially, or even in the music scene, Michigan is still in many ways, like, it's like, it's still in that 1950s vibe and it's just, it's not cute anymore. It's like, where, what are we doing? Grow up, you know? But the people of Detroit, the core people of Detroit, oh my God, they have so much passion and spirit. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, uh, Mexican, doesn't matter. Like everybody who lives in the heart of Detroit, the OGs, Mm -hmm. they look out for each other. They're all creatives and entrepreneurs. And um, it's, it's amazing what, how it's kind of turned around. Um, But yeah, I. um,
0: So you, you did, you, you played that show then for the mayor's wife.
1: I did. And then I stayed in Chicago for maybe four more days and I almost moved to Pilsen, um, which is a district in Chicago. It's the Polish village. And I didn't do it. Um, I just, something, I was always afraid of change, uh, in that way. I was afraid of taking that leap and I had been asked to help co-produce a show that was going to get picked up by a TV network. It was a dating show. Um, and I was just like, no, I can't do this. So when I went back to Michigan, I had the opportunity to move into a house in Ann Arbor with a couple roommates, which is uh, where the University of Michigan is. It's a college town, and within the first year, I started I started up the only two open mic nights that were in that town. One was on a Wednesday, and one was on Thursday. One you was at the Blue it. Blue Track. I started them. Um, there was one at the um, this one theater like once a month, but it was so pretentious and you had to pay to play. I that. And it was a lottery, it was a lottery system too. So a lot of people who went were regulars and they were used to just sitting in the audience waiting to see if they would go. And it yeah. was just like, why bother? Yeah. So I started mine at the Blue Tractor, which was next to cafe, next to Cafe Havana on Washington and It was every Wednesday, and it went, within the first three months, it went from, like, two people hanging out to, oh, my God, we had, like, a fundraiser for AIDS Life Cycle. We did, like, all this. It blew the fuck up. M Live did three stories on it, which is, like, their newspaper for the college. Um, It was amazing. And then, eventually, we had a house band. So, I was, like, holy shit, I did it. I was like, I did it again. But here's another horror story as a performer. (laughs) You're in a college town Mm -hmm. at a prominent sports bar, right? And for fuck's sake, it's called the Blue Tractor. So on nights when we had open mic, if there was a home game or even an away game that they wanted to watch on TV, Mm -hmm. I had to wait anywhere from one to three hours before I could turn on my equipment and start open mic. My open mic was only supposed to be from nine to midnight. So when I had to wait, I'd be there until two in the morning sometimes. And that's just not what I wanted to do because I didn't want to be around alcohol like that. I didn't want to put myself at risk. Right. If I was there and I left before midnight, I wasn't as tempted to drink and be a crazy person, but I'm performing. And I remember one of the first times that we started in a game, it ended and we played a cover of, um, and I remember the song exactly because I just learned how to play it. We rehearsed it, and it sounded awesome. And I think I have uh, it on my YouTube. We did uh, "Boots" by Nancy Sinatra, and I love my version. Maybe oh, it's an I ego would thing,
0: love to hear that but I love yeah. I
1: love my version. So we did it, and everybody's like, "Yeah," you know. And you get all these like ladies dancing in front of us where we are in the bar, and. We kind of had like a makeshift stage and I brought in lights and it looked super professional. It was in front of a huge window to the street. So people walking by would come in and it was so fucking cool. And this older couple, we'll call them Kevin and Karen. (laughs) They come all the way from the back of the restaurant. When the restaurant closes, they finish their meal and I see them walk up and they kind of just like, give me this side eye when I was done singing and we said we'd be back in like two minutes. And then they leave. And one, their server at the time, I forget her name comes up to me and she goes that my table did not like you. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, uh, the, the wife literally asked me when is he going to be done singing? Ooh, is that, is it going to be over soon? And she was like, no, tonight's open mic night. He's hosting. She's like, well, can they get a different host? What the- <laughs> <It's> like? <laughs> And then I, you know, what I realized too, was like, before we had started, I think I made a joke. Um, I made some political or queer joke, you know, something that made it obvious that I was of the queer community. Mm-hmm. And they very clearly were not supporters of people in the queer community. So let's just say it was a, a hateful gaze from Karen and Kevin, you know, um, hating on gay people. But it was, a, it was a really, it was a beautiful night. You know, we had nights like that. When management changed, they tried to dock my pay. I almost had to sue the bar. So I went over his head and um, I contacted the company that uh, started the restaurant chain. Uh, it's a management company that's in the Northwest corner of Michigan. I won't name for legal reasons, but I was like, you guys need to pay me.
0: Yeah,
1: I bring in three quarters you of the bring, audience that's yeah. here when I have increased your sales by 160%, you need to pay me and my band. Don't fuck with me. So they did. Uh, And then they fired the guy that wasn't paying me. So it was great. Um, Which I don't want people to lose their jobs, but you're docking my pay. So you're basically taking my job away from me. So as a performer, that was something I learned very quickly from hosting my own open mic nights was how to defend myself financially and legally. I was so proud of what I learned so quickly by having to deal with that shit. Mm-hmm. And even like the idea that other performers gave me when you host an open mic night, put out a tip jar. Cause even if you're getting paid, maybe oh. you can make tips for extra and other people who perform. Why not? So then my open mic night became pretty popping because I would split tips with performers who signed up because I wanted everyone to feel appreciated. Yeah. I really did. I couldn't afford to pay them myself. I paid my band the bar paid us but these performers were taking a chance and releasing new material or a cover song that they were trying and i was like you have this moment you deserve this moment to shine and to try what you're working on and if we're the first ears to hear it what an honor that is thank you for sharing your gift
0: yeah i used you to know? open mic i hosted one for years and i was I was very passionate about it because it's the same mm-hmm. thing. This is, this is your your testing ground. We are, the, we are the first ones to acknowledge and hear what you're doing. And I always, I feel like I was like a teacher in the sense of like making sure the audience was paying attention because yep. generally like the audience was all other performers. And so it would always irk me if they would like go out and talk and like practice. I'm like, no, you guys have to be here to support the other performers because we need, you need an audience and be mm-hmm. able to practice too. And uh, yeah. and thank God mine was at a, a coffee shop, so we didn't have to deal with alcohol, but then people would bring in alcohol and like sneak it in and hide it. And I would have to like. That's,
1: know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty, well, I mean, it goes back to what I said. Uh, and I love that you mentioned that. in the, In the music industry, you're right. People are still gonna sneak the things that they want into these types of scenes, because that's like this weird association. It's like a lot of singers and performers that I know are also smokers. And I'm like, ew, you smoke, don't you sing? Like, what do you, you know? And I I mean, I used to smoke, but I fucking quit for obvious reasons. Um, So it's just like, you're in these little spaces and it's like, if it's a cafe, which I did, I hosted uh, open mic at Cafe Classics in Monroe, Michigan for years before they closed. Um, which again was the only open mic that was there after the other one got shut down for some stupid reason. Um people would come in and I'd see like girls with like a flask in their purse and like pouring it in their latte. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's children in here. Like, what is what is going on in your brain? Yeah. So you get like these weird, like at Cafe Classics. I I will never forget this, Dana. This is another horror story. (laughs) I'm performing. I'm doing a cover by myself, on my guitar, on a mic acoustic, and I'm singing Anything But Down by Sheryl Crow. There's a girl sitting in front of me, just like poppy dog face, right? And all of a sudden, tears. So clearly the song is resonating with her for some reason. And then the bitch throws up on the floor in front of the microphone. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Is this real? I literally stopped and I'm like, are you okay? she goes, I'm not okay. And I was like, can someone please get her out of here? I "I am not getting paid enough and I am not equipped for this. And luckily I don't gag from seeing other people puke, but there was was like two other people like, I'm like, oh God. And then I thought it was gonna turn into that horror story where one person pukes and then everybody starts puking. I was just like, no oh so that was oh my god it was like no fucking way um but you know it's
0: ever had to ban someone from an open mic because i've had to i'm curious
1: (laughs) yes um there was this guy who i allowed him to substitute for me one time at one of my open mic nights um (laughs) God, it's so funny you asked that question. I allowed this guy to, I was, in, I was, like I said, I did the whole Canada thing mm-hmm. and I was, I went to go perform at Mitzi's sister in Toronto. It's a really cool bar in, in Toronto um, in the packing district. And um, <sighs> he covered for me on a Wednesday night, which was my busiest bar night. Thursday nights were meh cause it was still new for a while. And they eventually canceled it and pulled the rug out from under me because they actually paid me more, but because of the acoustics of that building, they didn't like having open mic night because it was too loud for our patrons. So I was like, okay. (laughs) So they canceled it. Um, So the Wednesday night was bumping and it was always packed and he covered for me and I had to leave town again for another gig. And I started getting a lot of these gigs that were outside of town but I wanted to open the door and give opportunity for people to host for me and in my absence. Um, So they had a chance to see what it was like to host. Mm -hmm. And um, he got really butthurt and offended when I didn't ask him the second time. Mm -hmm. And then he came to my open mic night and took advantage again and thought he had some weird seniority. He tried to put his name. I hate this shit, by the way. I had an open mic night list that was at oh. max 30 people, right? And I had to modify it over the course of time because I would get so many people that would come eventually. So it's like, sorry, you get one or two songs and it has right. to be less than six minutes.
0: Yeah, oh, so, man. I, would, I would literally just turn the volume down on people if they went over.
1: <laughs> so he tries to squeeze his name in between like, I don't know, three and four. Mm-hmm. And he showed up after I had already had like 15 people on the list. Mm-hmm. He wrote his name in. Let's just say his name was Steve. So I pull out my list again and I'm like, are you fucking, is this guy for real right now? So I skipped him and he didn't say anything. And after it got to like the fourth person, he came up, he's like, hey man, I put my name in between. Aren't you gonna just like put me in really quick? I gotta go. And I was like, your schedule is not my problem. These people showed up early to sign up. He's like, well, that's fucked up. I've hosted for you before. I was like, and I paid you, so thank you. Yeah. Like, we're not having this conversation. You don't. You don't like. We don't need to have this conversation. So again, it goes back to what I said. I'm so grateful that those things happened, so that I would that I would learn boundaries and how to protect 100%. myself professionally.
0: Exactly. Because I was
1: like, this is somebody else who's repped for me, mm-hmm. and now they're being a fucking diva princess. I was like, get out of my fucking face. Yeah. So he paid his tab, and even the bartender Kyle. I loved Kyle. Oh my god. Hi, Kyle. Um, <laughs> Kyle was like this fun, married guy, but, um, this
0: fun, married guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. he was like, he was so into what we did. I loved his enthusiasm. He made it so much better. And so did this girl, Kate, who is amazing. Um, I'm just going to give them.
0: No, when the venue supports it and it's so much more fun. They,
1: they were awesome. They were so into what we did and they made so much money. That's why they wanted to work on those nights. So, um, But Kyle was like, whoa, dude, what was up with, uh, what did I say his name was for fakeness, Steve? Uh, He was like, whoa, what's up with Steve? Like he was pissed. He literally just like threw the pen across the bar and I was like, fuck Steve, he's not allowed to come back here anymore. Yeah. So he tried to come back to like a month later, right? And I saw him as I was setting up my equipment, go past the window and he looked angry. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's been a month and you're still mad. Yeah. So he came in and he's like, Hey man, where's the sheet? And I was like, you're not signing up. And he goes, what do you mean? I was like, I don't want you to come back here because you make people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's fucking ridiculous. And I was like, no, your attitude is you need to leave. And then Kyle came out from behind the bar. Uh, One of the servers, uh, I forget his name. He was like this big Hawaiian guy. He's like, is there a problem? And Steve was like, fine, I'll go. And he never came back. And I don't feel bad because it was just like,
0: Well, especially like if he's treating the workers there, you know, that's disrespectful.
1: You can't walk into a, and that's what it was, Dana. For me, was like we created a safe community for artists to shine, and to take a chance and reveal like their original songs, to do cover songs, and to feel like they found a family that would give them constructive criticism that would encourage them to play in a band or, like, go rehearse or, like... like, to meet people,
0: yeah. Yeah, and so many. There's no room for a diva in a community like that. Oh,
1: my God. And and that was the thing was, like, so many of those people, after he was banned and some people asked, like, because some of them were there. Yeah. They they came to me later and they're like, yeah, I was going to tell you, um, you know, I had this negative experience with him. And I was like, you know, people just need to be honest and say what's going on. Yeah. I mean, you just, you, you have to, you got to put your foot down sometimes and be like, listen, you can either work on this because I'm going to give you a chance to fix it and change your behavior, or you can walk out. Mm-hmm. Cause if if you think that you're entitled and you want to stay how you are, that's not going to work here because that's not the environment that I started. And that's not the environment. The rest of these people are maintaining. Right. Everybody here is so kind and gracious and not opportunistic and I even checked myself like I if I opened the night I would open with one song so we could get it right to the list immediately yeah, you know yeah. so it's like risk respect people,
0: people. Yeah. yeah sometimes I wouldn't even play because I just wanted to make sure everyone else could have mm-hmm. the opportunity to and but yeah I've yeah. had a few people like that as well who would be like oh do me a special favor and I mean no. sometimes if I knew someone like had to leave for an emergency you know I would If they were polite, I would accommodate, but I would get people like that. I'm just like-
1: Yeah, it's presumptuous behavior. I hate that shit. Yeah. Um, So that was like a lot of my hosting open mic experience. Um,
0: I had no idea you hosted an open (sighs) mic.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I even did it. I did it here in LA in Echo Park at a place that used to be known as Red Hill. And then it became the Whisperer Lounge. Um, And I did it for a year. Mm -hmm. And then here's another story. I find out after a year that it's during Echo Park Rising and it was our biggest night. We had some amazing I had lady like I had Miss Uja from Japan. She signed to Sony Records Japan. She came in. Wow. I had um this rapper and MC hip hop artist named Triune who's like signed to a label now. He yeah. had one of he had one of his first nights here.
0: This just um, shows that like open mics are so important. Regardless of like mm-hmm. status, open mics are so important. Yeah go to it's
1: also to not to toot my own horn but i will i believe it's also the power of the host to maintain the evening and know how to read the room it really is so once again i had a house band and people would come just to hear the house band at this venue and that was like in la that was a big deal people drove from santa monica to come see us and i was like whoa (laughs) that is a (laughs) Um, that was cool i felt fucking cool so um we go a whole year of doing this, um, doing this event, and it was um, open mic at the Whisperer. And um, come to find out, I, and I don't have anything against the owner or the manager. It was just, it was really shitty. We found out after a year during open, um, during Echo Park Rising, which is a big festival in Echo Park of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm they take over like a three block radius and bands and shit are all over the street and at different venues there. And a lot of the shops that are there, but because we didn't have the licensing and permits to have live performances at all, which I did not know. um, The police showed up and shut us down and threatened to fine us. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it happened because the people of Echo Park rising called the police on Mm -hmm. us. But then every week after that, they went out of their way to try to do it to us, so I just eventually had to quit. I was like, "I'm not going to take that risk," yeah. and I don't want my band to be fined. And I know it's the venue that gets ticketed, but I just don't want that association. Right. And it turned into this really weird point of contention between me and the bar owner. And he was like, "This is fucking stupid. You can't just quit." And I was like, "I, out of respect for myself, yeah, I would rather bow out gracefully than have to deal with this." So again. I went back to that headspace of I'm glad I learned this now and I didn't push, push the envelope here and try to do something that could have gotten anybody in trouble. Right. But what a fucking bummer. Like, that was the only open mic that was on the East side about, well, it's not really the East side, but it was the only open mic that is in that part of Los Angeles that I knew of at the time. And that's why so many people would come from Silver Lake, um, from Glendale, from Highland Park, because it was like in the middle of everything. Right. Hollywood, you know, it, and it wasn't in Hollywood where people are jaded and weird at open mics, you know? You
0: typically have Everybody, to pay at those ones. And,
1: and you have to pay yeah. to play at the ones in Hollywood and they have shitty sound systems and the host yeah. usually acts like an asshole, mm-hmm. you know? And I can think of a few off the top of my head that I won't name, but I'm just like, how do these survive, yeah. <laughs> you know? So those are some things I learned definitely, yeah from open mic hosting, from being a part of it, from learning how to, you know, grow some chest hair from those <laughs> difficult experiences. Um, but ideally, the, the, not ideally, but the main thing that I learned as a performer and I first moved here was I was so into bringing back the lost art form in my life, which was dancing. And I was in ballet again before I moved here. Um, And I had moved here in like 2013. So I I had been dancing for years and I had picked it back up after I quit for a while, just like music. And um, I started doing burlesque. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a girl who I went to high school with who actually moved out here around the same time as me. And she was starting a burlesque show that ended up being at Zombie Joe's Underground Theater
0: and <laughs> um, that, Zombie Joe's hello, he's been in like every episode. It's so yeah. good. Everyone's perfect. And
1: so that's, that's the crazy part too, is like, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I probably should have apologized for my behavior during that time. But when I first moved to LA, I didn't know what a beast LA was and how it would affect my behavior and who I was as a person. I became very selfish and very cutthroat for a while. And I have since apologized to the girl that produced the show. Um, but you know, Zombie Joe doesn't want filming or video done at most of the shows that are there. And that was on the contract that we had signed. And I did this show and I thought I was like co-producer and I was co-host and like, again, I, ha- I was the one now with this weird sense of entitlement because I'm fucking Zachariah and look at me and all the shit that I've done. And um, we did this burlesque show And it was my first year of doing Boylesque as the new term was coined. And um, people recorded me performing. I had friends covertly record me performing and I uploaded shit to YouTube. And she got in trouble for it and was like, can you please take that down? And it turned into this whole argument. And I was like, I didn't get paid. I deserve to have video, fuck you. It was like this whole thing that I blew way out of proportion. And I'm totally like, I have no problem admitting fault here. Like I was an asshole. So well,
0: I'm glad that's the other I'm thing glad you, need- that you realize it and can say that now. Cause I'm sure like oh, yeah. a lot of oh, our yeah. people had those moments. <laughs> and Well, so- that's
1: the thing that I think Moment. other performers need to learn is that being humble in this industry is never frowned upon. Being humble is what will get you the furthest for the longest amount of time. When you start to ego trip and you start to take advantage and you start to use
0: people
1: people as a stepping stone, right. When you start doing that shit, you have lost your passion and your motivation of why you became an artist in the first place. And that maybe that's my opinion. Maybe that's just how I feel. But I learned real quick when I pulled that shit Yeah, I got booked for more shows. I thought I was hot shit. I was working out five days a week. I was super fit. I was one of the hottest boyless performers in LA at the time before like, what do we have now? Jake Dupree, he's amazing, you know? But I just like, it got to my head. And once again, we ran into this cycle of, oh, Zachariah's partying again and he's a playboy and that just became my life and I be, it became very vapid and empty and I forgot why I stepped on the stage in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it was really sad. And it took me, fuck, it took me the last three, four years, four years now, it'll be four years around like January and it wasn't like a New Year's resolution. It's been close to four years. It finally took me to get to the point that I am sitting here now talking to you to get my shit together to stop being so fixated on money, to stop being so fixated on fame and just do my art for the sake of doing art and to also help those around me become the best artists that they can be. And once I just started having that mentality again and I started going to therapy and I got off like (laughs) all all those things that you need to do.
0: Everything that we all should be doing.
1: (laughs) Yep. Once I just did all that, oh my God, I am in the most zen, serene place of my life and I am so grateful to the people around me and to myself for getting my shit together, you know? And it doesn't fix anything that I might've done wrong. It doesn't make it okay. I, I urge anyone listening to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, it, don't speak when you're in an emotional place. Don't make decisions when you're in an, emotional, an emotionally wrecked place. Yep. Pause, take a breath think about what you're doing is it going to have a long-term effect on someone Mm -hmm. is it going to have a long-term effect on you Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 very important because as performers i feel like some of us who are in tune Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we are channeling something and if we channel it in the wrong way it can really hurt people you know
0: yeah i mean we 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 share our emotions differently and we Mm -hmm we feel them differently probably you know than than regular folk who don't perform because i I feel like we're just we are emotional creatures and i've definitely gotten myself into situations where oh i should have probably thought before i just blurted all of that out and Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) it's like i'm glad you said that because i feel like that was a reminder to myself as well to calm down and you know kind Mm -hmm. of think about things before um, and actually, that kind of makes me wonder, when did you get spiritual? Like, have you always been spiritual? Or did you kind of have, like, an awakening at that moment? Because um, your work is primarily sur- uh, it's centered around your spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like, when that happened.
1: My entertainment life started, um, to very quickly answer your question, it's always been a spiritual practice. And I wasn't public about that for a long time, especially here in LA. But when I wasn't performing and I was living in Arizona for about five years, I ran a large group called the the Pagans of the Groves. And it was a group of over 250 members from a meetup group. And it became kind of like a coven. Mm -hmm. And it became a uh, weekly meetup where we did ritual and had workshops and classes. And I was one of the core members of that group. And um, the joke that I made recently on another podcast was, you know, I didn't come out of the broom closet again until about, um, about you know, a year and a half to two years ago.
0: Was and probably when I was coming out of uh, saying that, oh, you know, I, I'm pagan or a witch and
1: uh, mm-hmm.
0: I've always been the same way and I, I never really yeah. came out as it. So that's interesting. I, th- yeah. I thought that maybe you were out here much mm-hmm. longer.
1: All of my characters and my persona though, um, I have always called them my muses because I, I very much attribute um, my inspiration to even the Greek term or breakdown of the word inspiration, inspiri, which means you are channeling a divine messenger or or message mm-hmm. and it comes from an external source. So inspiration is divine, it truly is. When you are channeling true inspiration, it comes from the ethereal, it comes from the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I'm sure you have. When you're singing, or especially when you're singing, you have a moment as an artist where it's like, when you're really in it, it's like you're outside of your body and inside of your body at the same time. And those emotions and that compulsion and those feelings are so strong. It's like, who is this message for? Yes. Where, where is this being channeled from? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you step off the stage. I did a show at Beauty of Burlesque. Yeah, last in February, it was one of my last live performances. And I sang a version of, um, my funny Valentine. Mm-hmm. So I got to bring back my jazz roots and oh, it was sitting that,
0: you were asking me to, to help out with the track, I believe.
1: Ooh. Yeah. And I, I was, it was a very, very emotional evening for me. And yeah. the crazy part was that I didn't think those emotions were mine. And Dana, I was right. I, that performance, I have never had so many people find me to message me, or tell me some of the things that I thought after I stepped off the stage. They were like, your performance was so moving that I cried. I could feel how proud you were or I could feel what you were singing in those words because I had just experienced heartache or I had just gone through this thing or I brought my mom with me and she said it reminded her of this time in her life and my grandfather and I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, um, but those are those moments where that spiritual part of me is like, yeah, bitch, you're Zachariah the witch, not Zachariah <laughs> the bitch. Okay, so it's, um, my spiritual practice has, has always been, I met, like you said, I meditate before I do interviews with people, I meditate before I work with clients Um, I meditate or I pray or I, you know, do my mantras, um, anytime about, about to journal because I do a lot of stream of consciousness writing. It keeps me inspired. And I mean, it's funny talking about all that has kind of led me to where I am today in the last like three, four months since the pandemic, I have been writing nonstop. I've been writing and co-producing shows again and Dana, like that's exactly what I wanted to do when I moved to LA. Like I literally finally feel like I'm in a place where I'm found the serenity and the balance and the calm because I have paid attention to why I became an artist in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I got it. I got it back. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm really grateful. It feels really good. (laughs) You know, it feels really great. And when I see people struggling and you can tell that they've been through like the, the A&R rep people and they've been through the production people and they've had people telling them what their image should be. And they have all these fucking assholes telling them like, well, this is what your brand is. It's like, fuck those people. Fuck those people. What you really need is a good group of friends who can give you constructive criticism. They're not just gonna be fangirls and be like, oh my God, you're so great. Because if you're not great, your friends should tell you what you need to improve.
0: 100%. Or your
1: fellow, your fellow musicians and artists should be able to give you the feedback or find a fucking mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, find someone that you aspire to be like or can emulate that can give you tips that is gracious with their time, mm-hmm. you know? And those are things that like, God, I wish someone had told me that yeah. when I was like, had a fake ID and I was trying to figure shit out. I was so subdued. And distracted by the partying and, you know, just the petty, like, catty bullshit. Even in drag, girl. Like, even in, when I first started bringing back my female impersonation, because I did it back in Detroit. I did it in the carny world, where it was like, I was the bearded lady, or I was like, you know, the host or the carnival barker, but I was in like, an androgynous vibe. Mm -hmm. And people back there loved it. When I came out here, I had people looking down their nose at me like, oh, you do drag? oh well you're not you're not fish and it's like wow (laughs) I thought this was an art form I didn't know it was like I'm trying to be a woman because I wasn't yeah I think I'm beautiful when I put makeup on but Jesus Christ I'm not trying to be Naomi Campbell like you know what I mean
0: yeah
1: so it's just um
0: every well every world of performance there's always something it's always God group yeah
1: isn't it? It's like, you know, it's like the piano shit. I think of, I go back to all those times somebody made a comment where it's like telling me to use sevens and nines and like change up my chord progressions or have you ever heard of like doing it this way? And it's like, yes, I have, but that's not what I think is appropriate for this song.
0: Do you think this- that person was trying to be helpful and trying to be like a friend giving the critique or was, were you taking it differently or was that really kind of how he was giving i'm just curious like was i mean I, like this a is or
1: you and i you and i both know when someone's just being an asshole to be an asshole he was being an asshole to be an asshole mm-hmm. because it turned into he was trying to push me out yeah. to make me feel like i wasn't qualified but girl rather every time
0: encouraging I. and like yeah rather than being like okay this is going to help all of us just kind of yeah yeah,
1: because the real critiques that I got would be from the drummer. The real critiques that I got would be from the singer, right. and I mean they didn't always give me the best compliments. And I wasn't looking for compliments. What I was looking for was is my interpretation of this song working for the image and the you know what we're trying to bring to the stage.
0: Yeah, and it an did. You're an ensemble. You're not. Yeah, you're a solo artist here.
1: And I, I, you know, I even had a, when we had a sub bass player. He's like, dude, you compliment my bass playing so well and you don't drown out the guitar. I love that. How old are you? Yeah. That was some truth right there. Cause I was like, then what the fuck is Ben's problem? Yeah. <laughs> so, but Ben was used to being like kind of the, the centerpiece and a singer. Okay. So that kind of like made me realize like, oh, you're just fucking jealous. Wow. What a like, it's a pissing contest. Mm-hmm. But when I even start, when I started doing ballet again and dancing again, I, I wanted I wanted to be that person in the yoga class. I wanted to be that person in the ballet class that the teacher would like take a second and readjust me or show me if my posture was off or instead of just being wonderful. You're amazing. It's like, I don't want that. I don't grow when that happens, you know?
0: I love you said that though, because growing up in, in ballet, whenever I would get pointed out, I hated it. So it's like, I'm doing it wrong. But like now that I'm here, I'm realizing, no, it's, that's good. You need that one-on-one critique. Like you're not going to progress if you don't get that. And
1: sometimes too, the, the person who gets called out the most, I've, I've found in the performance community, the people that our eyes gravitate towards the most, even if they're not technically the best dancer, they have that it factor. There's something about them that draws us to them. Mm-hmm. It's like when you watch those horrible auditions on American Idol. It's not because they were horrible. It's because that person had so much spirit yeah. about what they are doing yeah. that no one can tell them that it's horrible because they believe in themselves so fucking hard.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, I wish I had a frac- I mean, I do have a fraction of it, but, like, damn, to have that much confidence, I wish we all could take some of that, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, yeah, There's there's just been... It's been such a journey. It's been such a labyrinth of revelations and blessings and hard lessons and learning how to be humble mm-hmm. and, you know, knowing when to bite back at the audience. I mean, one of the stories that I, one of the stories that comes to mind, I did a show called foodies and boobies.
0: <laughs> oh, I've always wanted to do that. Show.
1: Uh-huh. I love gingerly <laughs> bell and, um, Lily St. Beer, they, yeah. they, they wrote and, and produced it. And it's an Elsid Cid when everything was still kind of normal. And yeah. um, I'm on stage, and this is within this last year. What was, your, what
0: was your food act?
1: Um, I actually was the opening musical guest. So oh, okay. I'm, in, I'm in full geesh, I'm in yeah. drag. I kind of looked like um, that day, I, fuck, what was I wearing? I was in, I was channeling Jawbreaker the movie and I was yeah. like, I killed the team dream, deal with it. You know, um, I totally was like that 90s bitch, Joan Jet wannabe and mm-hmm. um, Shannon Doherty. So um, that was kind of like my drag inspiration for that day. And I'm performing and it was going good. And in the middle of my set, I kid you not, this giant man, like he was six foot six, shaved head, looked like a big biker dude. Not like wide, but a big guy. Yeah. He walks up towards the El Cid stage and there's these, this little staircase to the right that gets you up on the stage because we would have guests come up sometimes or audience members for birthdays. Mm-hmm. But during the opening, it's just me for like 45 minutes. They close the curtain and then the show starts. Right. I'm almost, I'm like halfway through. This big ass man walks up on the stage, directly beelines to me on the stage. And I'm like, playing strumming my guitar and i'm like you're on my stage i'm saying it in the (laughs) microphone like hey you're on my stage and he's like hey can i sing a song with you and i was like can you go sit back down please but dana this is the fucked up part so he goes to sit back down he walks down the stairs he doesn't sit in his chair he face plants on the floor oh no and everybody gets up and it becomes a scene and Allie is in the middle of the audience and she's like Doing this, like um, yeah. keep keep, go- keep going, keep going, keep going. They'd take him outside. I don't know what's going on, but they tell me to keep playing for way longer. I played for almost an hour and a half, and luckily I had enough you songs. Have in no my head. idea
0: what's going on because you're just.
1: I find out after the fact that not only did this guy assault the bartender outside by busting a glass on his head, he then proceeded to lay on the tile floor outside of the venue and slam his face oh into the tile. He charged at the police officers who came to the venue, they tased him, and then he kept screaming, I just wanna fucking die, kill me, kill me, kill me. And he tried to reach for their gun.
0: Holy shit.
1: And I'm my brother was there, and he said, when that guy stepped on stage, I thought you were in danger.
0: Right. And I said,
1: you know what, dude, I sensed it too, but luckily, I've learned when you host to just make it fun, make the person feel like they're not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And then in some polite fashion, give them a reason to leave the area. Be like, oh, you're funny. How about you come up later? And that's kind of what it was. He was like, oh, and he left. But oh, oh my God. And then it was just this, like, it was this really... (laughs) That's sad because it's like, I I wondered like, is he okay? Was he on drugs? Did something happen? And then of course, you know, Megan and Allie, like I don't even know if they've ever told anybody this story and maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it, but these are the things that you as a performer have to be prepared for sometimes, especially in a larger city like LA. you're gonna get the crazies. You're gonna get somebody who gets invited by a friend of a friend who didn't plan on being there. And if it's a brunch show, which that show was, you're gonna to have to deal with people drinking or people trying to talk during your performance or people getting up abruptly or being loud. Or like one time these two girls were fighting and I stopped in the middle of a song. Everyone else was listening. And I don't expect people to shut up and listen, but people liked the songs I was doing. These two, two girls, and I'm like, hey, hey. Yeah. Hi, this isn't (laughs) television. I can hear you. Yeah. And they're like, I was like, you can leave. And then everyone around them was like, shut up, you know, and then they stopped. But it was just like, those kind of, oh my God, those kind of moments as a performer, you know, I had never in my life been in a position where I thought I was in danger, but my brother pegged it. He was totally spot on. I actually did. feel. I felt like had I said the wrong thing, yeah, or I really feel like that guy was gonna punch me. I really did. And girl, I was in high heels. That wouldn't have been cool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like my wig would have fallen off. It would have been bad. So
0: yeah, I've gotten I've had some situations like that, especially as as twirly, people think that they can mess with me. Or they think that like there's an opportunity to be able to interrupt or to get on stage and take over and it's it's very interesting to see people do that just like what has come over you to decide to like get up on stage you know it just
1: is it you know it's it has something to do it really does have something to do with when you have makeup on and your character yes when i when i do drag even now, like when I was glamorous at Beauty Burlesque, I had men approach me that were like, can I touch your face? I'm like, yeah. why do you need to touch my face? Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, do you think something about it's prosthetic or fake? And what the fuck, dude?
0: But yeah, that like, compared to when you are like your normal self playing music, it's, it's different. Like, it, yeah. it, it's a lot to do with the makeup. It's like, it's because you are, you are a character at that point. So people feel like you're not real and it's, It's absurd.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, at the same time, we're not real. We're there for entertainment and we are a persona. But Mm -hmm. I mean...
0: there's boundaries you don't need there
1: There are there are physical boundaries you know you don't go to a haunt you don't go to a scare attraction and like punch the the scare actor because they scared you that's what you're there for is to be scared
0: yeah you know oh my god i've had so many people do that to me like it's it's (sighs) i've had so many people get kicked out because of situations like that so it's just yeah people like Um, forget that there's a line that you should not cross
1: (laughs) there really is and you know it's it's basic it's basic show etiquette you know i don't care if people have their phones out and they're being quiet and they're not paying attention because they're being quiet. I don't care if people, if it's not against the venue's rules, record what's happening, you know, but.
0: But yeah, that you have to be careful. You have to make sure that that's that the producers are cool with mm-hmm. it venues cool with it because some burlesque shows don't mind it, whereas other burlesque shows do mind it. And then yes. some burlesque shows don't mind you touching the performers while others are like, you can look, but you can't touch like this. Every production is different. Do
1: you have, um, do you have any like favorite ways to have you've hosted before, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you want to hear one of my favorite ways to get the audience engaged? Yes. Hey everybody. We're going to do a little exercise really quick. Repeat after me. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Do it. Ooh. 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 Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's, it works every fucking <laughs> time because they're like. Whoa, what is happening?
0: (laughs) So everyone's just like orgasming at the same time. It's
1: it's great. It's great at a burlesque show. It's so much fun.
0: Yeah, they're like, okay. It does. Yeah.
1: I've because actually, I um, don't
0: know that they can make noises and can, and can't oh have to God. and it's yeah. like been silent. That's when it's really awkward.
1: <laughs> well, you know, like as a performer, here's another fun thing. It's like, you're back. Let's say you're not hosting and you're backstage, you and your fellow performers, like you'll be waiting to go on stage if it's a variety show or whatever. Yeah. And one of them comes off. And the first thing they say is what you expect. And like, wow, that audience really sucks tonight. Yep. They're like really, it's really dead out there. Yep. And it's not because there's no bodies in the seats. It's just, there's no engagement, yeah. you know? So it's amazing as a performer to sometimes be the performer that turns the audience on or like gets them like, oh my God, i made a show. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like that was so fucking great. And then, <laughs> then it's just better. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got to like, and that's another tip for people. It's like, As a performer, whether you're hosting or you're in the middle, the beginning, the middle, or the end of a show, you have to engage your audience in a way that you can read the room and cater to that energy of that room. And if you want it to be lively, then you got to amp that shit up and make them feel like they're getting jolted with electricity. You know, if you want to make people cry, then you need to feel what you're feeling and channel it through that song or through that performance. And it will usually translate. And that's why I think when you ask that question of like the spirituality, as a performer, when you're really in tune with what you're doing and you are following your true passion and calling, you are channeling anything that's in your brain at that moment. Mm -hmm. And whatever the inspiration is behind that performance that you're doing, Mm -hmm. and the audience is going to feel it. So when you get performers that are fumbling, they're like, oh, sorry, this is only my third time doing this. So um, here's the song.
0: Yeah. which Open mic is good for that. Open mic is perfect
1: out. for yeah, that. That's where you're but
0: figuring it out.
1: It's even like, it reminds me of this thing that I tell my husband all the time. I'm like, when people give you a compliment about an outfit, don't tell them how cheap that outfit was. Just say thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Just say thank you. <laughs> Just be like, oh, thanks. I, yeah. I liked it so I got it. And yeah. it could look like it cost a million bucks, but you got it yeah. for two dollars. They don't need to know it was two dollars, girl.
0: That is totally my problem. Like I'm always the girl who's like, I got it at Target. <laughs> you don't you
1: like, don't it, need to do like yeah. if you're glamorous and you're fabulous, just own it. Own it. You yeah. can do it on any budget. You can do it with any mindset. But it's just it's all in horror. your head.
0: As a performer, that is really good because I have been in situations where I thought I did a shitty job and someone will be like, that was amazing. And, and then I'll say that, be like, thanks, but I wish I would have done this. I Stop wish I doing done. that. Yeah, yep. no, exactly. You just
1: leave those critiques for yourself when you're alone and you can work on it. Don't say it in front of your audience who's appreciating your art.
0: Exactly. Because then it exactly. kind of almost downgrades the compliment they just gave you. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not accepting what they just said. And I know yeah. like, yeah it's deflecting the compliment rather than just accepting it and yeah yeah, i feel like a lot of performers do that because we're always in our heads we're always like thinking of what should have been or but Mm -hmm. the audience doesn't know that and they don't need to know that
1: well it kind of brings me back to the original point when we just focus on why what our intention and the why behind yes us as artists what that is and that's why we're on that stage or that's why we're on camera Mm -hmm. that's why we're doing a podcast when we make that our focal point, it all just flows so much better. It all just comes out in its own natural inspired way. Mm-hmm. It's not like, it's not a false avatar that you're presenting of like, I am the most epic performer of this generation. <laughs> People give you that title, bitch. You don't say that, it for yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. LA has been its own beast. I, I, I just, you know, the thing that I want to tell a lot of people when they ask about being a performer is that, you know, there's a lot of inconsistency. There's a lot of things that you can't be ready for, but then somehow you find out that you, can, you are naturally, um, or you just learn as you go. Mm-hmm. And um, you also have to evolve. You have to know how to evolve with the changing times. Just like the winds change, you have to be able to change. Yeah, you you can- have to be like Avatar, <laughs> be like the air,
0: <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a lot of changes going on right now that we have to adapt to because if we don't, we'll just get stuck and we're not going to progress. Yeah,
1: that's why I've been writing. That's why I've been co-producing. That's why, you know, for the first time in years, I'm, I've am i put together an all-online digital event and show with um, The Witches Brew LA. That was recently. It was called The Raven Society.
0: Yes.
1: And it was all inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe, which, hello, inner goth child. Did duh. What
0: you do again because we will that's gonna
1: but it'll probably be in person when things can be in person and now i'm doing an in-person immersive socially distanced uh dinner theater show um which which also has a scare attraction attached to it and i'm not going to give too much information but it's another show that i've written with a full cast of characters and dialogue and it's 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 inspired san diego yeah it's in san diego and it's uh, October sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth. There's two shows a night, so six shows total, and we've almost sold out. It's crazy. Um, Send so, me
0: a link or something so I can post that when I when I. Show. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then um, we uh, we haven't. When are you going to post this episode?
0: This one will be in a few weeks, so this will probably be like perfect mid October.
1: So. It hasn't been announced yet, so you'll be one of the first uh, people to hear this. But the Ghosts of the Past has also now been picked up at a venue in Oxnard, and will be the same thing three three nights a week, three nights on a weekend. Well, Oxnard's
0: not too far from me, so I'll and leave. it's
1: for it's yeah. for Halloween. Perfect. So I'm just like I don't know what's happening, but I'm just gonna say thank you. I, I will take these opportunities, <laughs> and I'm gonna go with it. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I said when I did open mic nights. I have hired and booked people that I don't really know who have talent, and I want them to shine. They sent me their resumes. They sent me their acting reels. It's people that I've never worked with. And I'm so excited to see these up and coming performers and actors just wow everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't want to do the whole nepotism thing and just hire all my friends. Yes, I asked a lot of my friends first, but then it was kind of like, you know what? Let's open this up. Let's see yeah, who we actually,
0: can find. I saw a few of my friends reshare your post. And I think yeah. I, that's kind of what I love about our community as well is that we're, regardless of who's involved, like we know that it's going to be great because mm-hmm. people are coming from within. And um, I'm, I'm actually really curious, like who's involved. And I wonder if I know anyone.
1: Yeah, you'll find out after we, um. let's wait till after I do the show. Yeah. Um, but it's they are all they all have IMDb pages, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, but, hey,
0: I have an IMDb page, but that doesn't mean anything. So. <laughs> it's it's just, time. you know,
1: it's those little things where you're like, yeah. you've really been working really hard to make this happen for yourself. Yeah. And if this is like, maybe and this the is, is that, that...
0: They're going to do a good job, and they're going to do the best to represent you.
1: Well, you know what I think, too? It's like my friend Tosh, who does Beauty at Burlesque, we've yeah. had this conversation, and I love her for this. She's like, you know... Uh, and it's something we agree on and what our ethics is that you can have, you know, a hundred thousand followers, but if your performances are shit and you're only in it for yourself, I don't want you in my show. Yeah. But let's say you turn around and you got somebody who's, you know, just very green on the scene. Like I was when I was 17, 16, and they have really raw talent and a drive and a passion and they're in their true artist form. Um, Oops. (laughs) They're in, their, they're in their true form, um, I'm gonna book that person instead because they're gonna promote the show, they're gonna be excited about it, yeah. and they're gonna bring that energy to the stage. Yeah. And it also gives them a bigger platform to be seen and people to be like, oh shit, where did this person come from? So I, if that's
0: what- that's, I do appreciate that about her as well. Like mm-hmm. a lot of her shows, they're such a diverse group of people. In oh my
1: God, yeah. And I, I've,
0: I've become such a big fan of quite a few people that performed in her shows.
1: Yeah, we um, it's we call it the Glam Fam. That's who that's who we all are together. Um, it's and I missed like she's doing this amazing show, and I'm going to talk her up because she's my friend. She's doing a haunted drive-in production yeah.
0: it, where I, it's pr- the promo for it looks fantastic.
1: D- it's on like, it's got Ava Ziegfeld hosting. It's got Victoria the Vintage Vampire. It was it's all drive-in movie like vintage inspired and the head. And I,
0: that she's selling, I really
1: want one. <laughs> I bought the I bought the bat glasses girl. I was really? like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah she's, the she's
0: green the green one with the oh
1: it's so I'm <laughs> I love I really, really again, you know, I think this is important to do as performers too. Give praise and credit where credit is due. You know, like I love what you do. I am so grateful that you're doing this show. I think it gives performers and creatives kind of like what you said about being on my Around the Cauldron show, you didn't know how much you needed it. And yeah. I kind of feel the same way today. Like I did, I forgot until I started talking about it how grateful I am to be an artist. Yeah. So thank you for giving me a chance to talk about it. You know, I don't, I don't do that enough. I write my gratitude lists. Yeah. I say thank you.
0: And that's but, why I wanted to do this. Yeah, because i knew yeah. being in the green room with friends and being like, I really, I'm so happy you're here doing the show with me. And I, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I I miss that and so being able to still do that right now like it it, it's making my heart full and like I know after this I'm going to write some music now because I'm so inspired by talking to you and it's just that's
1: wonderful yeah
0: and especially people like Tosh like I've met Tosh a few times and I I know that she wanted me as a tap dancer for something it didn't work out but she's another one of those performers that I don't know her too well but I can feel her energy and her happiness and it's because she has such a good world around her, so it's such supportive people, and she knows that, and you can see that. And it's just- Well,
1: you know what a lot of it is, too? And, I mean, this is even before I got as close to her or a more of a friend level that I am now. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that what I sensed from her is that she makes it a point to work on herself and stay humble. Mm-hmm. And that, that she's always been that way ever since I first saw her at a private party in Echo Park. She's never been... She's never been like these other burlesque icons where you're just kind of like, "Oh, she's kind of a bitch." It's like, "No, she's really
0: She is a big icon too in that Yeah,
1: Yeah, she's um I <laughs> in my show that I wrote, I I gave her my own title and I hope that she adopts it, but I call her the Glittering Rose of the Desert or of the West. <laughs> I just the Desert Rose of the West. I just something about it. I'm like, "Yeah, that's you. <laughs> you're in this wasteland of jaded people and you're just I so nice she's her. so nice i hate it i hate her so much for being <laughs> nice <laughs> i'm gonna have to send her this episode too so she can hear how much i sound like a fangirl right now
0: yes, i love it's it so
1: funny i know yeah. honestly
0: when i met her i was in awe and i was just like i'm meeting a yeah. right now and she's
1: fab she's totally fab she's totally <laughs> glamour she's so yeah. chic her girlfriend indy india like another friend that i adore like she's an amazing model and
0: i know i was able i got to meet her briefly too my friend used to live with her and i'm just like this couple yeah the most gorgeous but the
1: thing is is like (laughs) we even have this inside joke we call each other trash because it's like we know where we come from we know who we are and it's like that's what makes us humble is like we can make fun of ourselves and i i love that you know and that's
0: as a performer we all need to be able to make fun of ourselves because we're yeah, ourselves out there and
1: oh my god and most of us dana are trash like most yeah. of us come come from nothing yeah and it's like that's where you have to like it reminds me of of like j-lo don't be fooled by the rocks that i got because i'm yeah. still jenny from the block it's like bitch no you're not you act like you're miss high and mighty get the fuck off your high horse <laughs> if you really meant what you were saying people would know that you meant what you were saying you know yeah. what i mean so Staying humble, if that's the main thing people get from this, staying humble is so goddamn important. It really is. Because it keeps you true to your art,
0: yep. you know? 100%. It's more
1: inspiring than being an egotist, you know?
0: I thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I i mean, I feel like I could talk to you for like another hour or two. <laughs> oh
1: man, I, got, I mean, I got more stories, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. So. Well,
0: maybe I'll have you on again.
1: Yeah, we can do a part, yeah. a part, de, you yeah. Know, part feel two. Like, yeah, I know. Like, I feel
0: like there's so much more to like discuss, but I don't want to like have a two-hour, three-hour episode. But <laughs> maybe yeah, I'll
1: absolutely on
0: after you have all your productions and everything. Oh know?
1: my god! Yeah, and I honestly feel like after those productions happen, it's just gonna it's gonna accelerate, and I'm so here for it. I'm so yes, universe, give me that, give me that. <laughs> I love I it. Take, I would take all of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, the one in Oxnard I definitely wanna go to and I'll bring okay. it here. We're um, announcing
1: we're officially announcing it on Friday, this coming Friday. So you will see that or I'll, I'll send it to you but the the official announcement of the dates and the show is on Friday and
0: this will come out after that so that's good okay. yeah
1: and you know for people listening what I love about these shows is that I'm writing it catered to those specific locations so the ghosts oh, of great. the past are related to the ghosts of the past that are from there so it's very every show is unique in its own way and it's a challenge for me as a writer but it's also like I got this
0: no, it's this, is be- why
1: I, this is why I do this.
0: You also deal with ghosts, like you work with ghosts. Yes!
1: <laughs> we can talk about that thing. another time too. Oh my yeah.
0: God. That's, yeah, that's another thing I'm going to have to pick your brain on.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure.
0: I'm so excited. And I'm, I feel like I've gotten to know you so well these past like few weeks. So it's really exciting. Yeah, it's and been I always, great. I always appreciate every gig that you have me on. and. Um, yeah,
1: girl, anytime. <laughs> I would love to see you shine and be in your element. I think you're fabulous.
0: Thank you. Well, it takes one to know
1: one. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay, queen. I'll see you later. Bye. (laughs) Bye.
0: (laughs) If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider um, subscribing, liking, sharing, all of that fun stuff. And if you are a performer and you have fun stories to share please email me at DanaBenedictVariety at gmail.com. That is D-A-N-A-B-E-N-E-D-I-C-T-V-A-R-I-E-T-Y at gmail.com. I'm also interested in hearing from creators, um, producers. uh, As you've listened, I've had different people on the show. And I'm also looking for audience members as well. I would really love to hear funny stories that especially you know after Halloween we have Christmas coming up so if maybe you have a fun story about you know children meeting Santa Claus or maybe even back to the Halloween um, going through a haunted mansion going through you know as, a, as an audience member if you have any fun stories I would love to hear that so please feel free to email me thank you all so much and I hope you have a great day